We've had the opportunity, let me just say, I've had the opportunity this week to truly practice what I'm about to preach. <laughs> it doesn't always happen. I mean, I, I, I have, I've always come before the Lord saying, Lord, I'm not going to preach something that I'm not willing to do. That's just wrong. That's hypocrisy. And I hope you expect the same thing from me. That, that, that just wouldn't be the case. You know, go out there and love people and I'm just a jerk to people. No, that wouldn't be right. <laughs> you know, uh, pray for those that persecute you. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I, I try to do those things that I feel God is telling me to preach about and teach about. That's in his word. Very rarely do I have an instance or a time, though, that my week, right before I were to preach, is all about what I'm preaching about. <laughs> that I have to actually step forward and do just that every stinking day. So please understand that as I share from this series that we're, we're doing right now, about being stuck in the moment, as we look at the book of Philippians, that Paul's words 2,000 years ago are very real today. We're going to be talking about something that I believe hits us all. Anxiety and worry. It was tax week for me and my wife. <laughs> Is there nothing more anxiety driven and tax driven or uh, worry driven than taxes? I remember when we were first married, I had like five jobs. I always had a bunch of jobs. You know, I was a waiter, and I would processor, and I did all these different things, and I would have like three to five W-2s, minimum. That was the extent of our paperwork. I would go to H&R Block, my wife and I, it was like going and seeing Santa Claus. Because we had four kids within three years of being married. And so, with the, uh, the, the child tax credit and all that, I'm telling you, it was like seeing Santa Claus. And we would go to H&R Block with our four little pieces or five pieces of paper and we'd go, yay, we'd set it down. Oh man, I long for those days. <laughs> Taxes. Talk about worry, anxiety. There's many other things though that can affect us and bring that time where we, just being anxious, I mean, job, economy, kids, isn't it just a world full of landmines of anxiety and worry? It just is. And so I just cannot believe how timely this message has come to me and my family and maybe to you as well. But if it's not, please understand, you will have troubles. <laughs> you will get anxiety. You will have worry. And so hopefully this is something that you could uh, look at and come back to this passage in Philippians that we're going to look at. But did you know that the average person... Their average anxiety is focused on these things. I, I think this is interesting. 40% of what the average person focuses on is things that will never happen. So 40% of things that will never happen. 30% things about the past that can't be changed. 12% about things, uh, uh, about criticism by others that are mostly untrue. 10% about health, which by the way gets worse the more you focus on it and, and are anxious about it or worried about it. And only 8% about real problems that will be faced. That blew me away. But isn't that the truth? Anxiety and worry just come hand in hand with life. And Paul, he gets it. I mean, for my goodness, he's in prison and he's writing these things. He's in a troubled world where the economy is up and down, where the government's doing this or doing that. And people are, are, are just going crazy around him and problems are happening all over the place. 
he's writing to a world that we are in today. And so this is very timely. So what I'd love to do is point you to this take-home truth that I believe is super important as we look at the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. But this is that take-home truth. Being free from anxiety and worry means we cast everything. I'm going to say it in the Greek. Everything. We cast everything at the feet of Jesus and seek community for his peace. Okay, so if you could please stand with me, I'd love to read this passage in the book of Philippians. Verse 2, Paul says this, I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. But whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, you may be seated. For many of you, you've memorized this. I'm really trying to memorize this. This is one of those passages. But we have to remember that when Paul was writing this, he's writing a letter to the church of Philippi. You see, he's writing to people in Philippi who are dealing with actual problems. And I love that about Scripture. It's not just some pie-in-the-sky theology. It's not just some ethereal thing that we want to look No, it's very practical. And whenever we look at Scripture, if it doesn't come down and meet us right on the road that we're at, then we're not reading it. And so I love what's going on here. And I want to, I want to look at this really quickly, just a little bit of history. I mean, who, who's Yodia and Syntyche? Who, who are they? Well, you know, the interesting thing is we really don't know. We just don't. And, and if we try to understand, I mean, what was the conflict and the division that caused an apostle to address it? We don't know that either. See, the truth is that what can be so important and vital one day will become trivial and forgotten in the next you know, what I think is interesting is that historians say things about, like, have you ever wondered about feuds? Feuds in history. I mean, one of the famous ones we have here in this country is the Hatfield and the McCoys. Very famous feud between two families that started out with one thing and then it became more and more and more and more. Did you know one of the interesting things that they found is when they looked at the people in, like, involved in these feuds over the course of time, most of them couldn't even remember why they were feuding. They just were. So what's the point? I don't remember, but I'm mad at them. Well, it's such a big issue at the time. Why, why do you not remember it now? Well, that's not important because I'm mad at them. <laughs> See, if I were to point you to something that's very simple, the first truth that I really want you to look at when it comes to anxiety and worry is anxiety and worry always deals with small 
issues. Now please, I'm not trying to say that your issue is small. That, that, that's, I don't want to be cavalier about this because some of us are dealing with really big issues. But let's take that issue and then let's look at it over the course of eternity. See, if I take eternity and I add 10 million years to it, it's still eternity. I haven't added to it. Can't subtract from it. And we have a tendency to think about the first 70, 80, 90 years of our life. And the truth is that when we put it in light of, of Jesus, of God, the King of Kings, and in the light of eternity, everything becomes a small issue. Now, something I found out that was pretty interesting is I used to live up in the mountains. And I loved it, the mountains. I remember there were, we, we lived, if you, have you guys know where Wrightwood is and that whole area where you take the 138 and you go over the hill and they actually put a stoplight there? Um, because 138 used to be crazy. Uh, we lost quite a few people on the 138. In fact, it was, it was nicknamed Blood Alley for a long time. It was one of the most dangerous highways. A lot of people didn't realize that. But one of the reasons it was very dangerous was because there's this little thing called fog. And, and I, used to think, I, used to, I used to think I knew what fog was, living down here, until I lived up there, where you're actually in a fog. I mean, serious fog. I could not see, if, if Mark's base was right here, in the fog that we were in, I couldn't see it. That's how deep and thick it was. Now, interesting thing about fog. The crazy thing about it is, if you were to take a dense fog like that, that covers seven city blocks and it's a hundred feet deep did you know that the moisture in that that composes that is a little less than one glass of water that's it and you could divide it up into about 60,000 million drops tiny 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 it doesn't really compose a lot you see all this things small things gathered together make this fog that you can't even see it's not really a lot there, but it cripples an entire town. See, the truth is that anxiety and worry is always deals with small issues, and these small issues can pile up and make a dense fog that can cripple us, and we can't see. We can't even see that the Lord Jesus is right there with us. And Paul is going to remind us of that. And he's reminding them of that in their time, in, in those small things that, we're dealing, that they were dealing with. And so another aspect that I want to point you to, besides the fact that anxiety and worry always deal with small issues, is, is being free from anxiety and worry means that we remember the command to be thankful. We have to remember the command to be thankful. See, Paul looks at this stuff and he says, I know this is horrible, but you've got to deal with this. But at the end of the day, there's the command that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, Rejoice. Literally, be thankful continually is what he's saying. And, and Paul, we have to remember, Paul's not reminding them of this while sitting on a beach, sipping on smoothies, getting the back rub. <laughs> you know, he's not saying this while, while sitting on a nice, easy recliner. One of these days I'm going to get a nice recliner, and when I do, I'll probably sit in it for about a week and never give up or get up. <laughs> But he's not sitting it from one of those. I mean, he's chained 18 inches to a Praetorian guard who's chained out three times a day in a dank prison cell. 
I mean, the apostle of apostles who made it, who, who felt it was God's mission for him to go to the, to, to every town and be a traveler for Jesus is stuck in prison. And this is where this comes from. He says, remember the command. I have to remember the command to rejoice. Again, I'm going to say it again, rejoice. What this comes down to is that thankfulness does not come naturally. Amen? It just doesn't. Because if it did, we would all be free. <laughs> we would all be just totally perfect. We, it comes naturally. No, it doesn't. Being thankful is never a feeling you will naturally have. It is a choice you must make daily. See, it's a command that we have to choose to follow. We have to make that choice daily. This is why Paul is so emphatic. Again, I say choose to be thankful. Why? Because if we don't rejoice, we will go to our default, which is to be critical. This is why Paul says in verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That word for gentleness is the exact opposite in the Greek of harsh and critical. Because see, if our default is not thankfulness, our default is to be harsh and critical. Can I get an amen? amen? I mean, that's just the natural. Of course I got hurt. Of course you did that. Of course there's traffic. Of course the movie is late. Of course my food isn't on time. Of course, do you get where I'm going? It's the default. It's natural to be critical. And many of us can get there. And if we don't choose to follow the command of thankfulness, then that anxiety and that worry of all those small things is going to make such a dense fog that we're going to be stuck. See, maybe it's in the area of your job. The people you work with are just driving you crazy. And nothing but critical and harsh thoughts and feelings are in your brain and your spirit and in your soul. And in fact, maybe your spouse is getting tired of hearing it, but they just haven't told you yet. And maybe it's the neighbors that you continually find are going to be difficult because, let's just be honest, that music is driving me crazy and it's two in the morning. If they just cut their lawn, if they just stop honking their horn at 5.30 in the morning, you know, I mean, think about it. See, we have to choose to follow the command of being thankful. Secondly, being free from anxiety and worry means that we remember to cast our cares, all of our cares, on Jesus. This is why Paul says, if he says, if our default, we've got to be gentle. Our default is being critical. We have to cast our cares. Do not be anxious, he goes on to say in verse 6, about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Cast your cares at His feet. I, I love how Paul puts this. Because it's not something that he puts in the Greek that is a final one-time, that's-it command. Because the Greek is very specific. That's what I love about the Greek. It's very, very, very specific. You really can't go two ways with it when Paul puts it this way. In fact, he puts it in such a way that's almost, it's a continual, continual casting your cares. It's a command that, oh, today you're struggling with worry? Cast your cares. Tonight, you're struggling with... Cast your cares. Oh, wait, wait. You just talked to me about this a minute ago? You're still straight. Cast your cares. It's a continual, never stopping. 
It's almost like the writer of Hebrews was right when he said, come boldly before the throne of grace. See, we have this opportunity in a risen king, in Jesus Christ, to go to him with everything. Everything. There is nothing too big or too small to give to the King of Kings. See, I I like how one commentator put this. He said, to truly stop worrying is only possible if we give God everything. Let me say it again. To truly stop worrying, to truly stop having anxiety is only possible if we give God everything. There was a theologian in the 16th century named Francis Fenelon, and he says something that I love, and I, if I could get a tattoo right on somewhere where I could see it every day, this is probably one of the ones I would get. Of course, it's really big, so it would probably be like, you know, wherever I could see it, and it would be written all over. But it's, he says this, and please bear with me. It's in a little bit of a 16th century language, but it is so appropriate to this. He says this, Tell God all, everything that is in your heart. As one unloads one's heart, its pleasures and its pains to a dear friend. Tell him your troubles that he may comfort you. Tell him your joys that he may sober them. Tell him your longings that he may purify him, purify them. Tell him your dislikes that he may help you conquer them. Talk to him about your temptations that he may shield you from them. Show him the wounds of your heart that he may heal him, heal them. Lay bare your indifference to good, your depraved taste for evil. Lay bare your instability. Tell him how self-love makes you unjust to others, how vanity tempts you to be insecure, how pride disguises you to yourself and others. Tell him if you thus pour out that your weaknesses, needs, and troubles, there will be no lack of what to say. You will never exhaust the subject. It is continually being renewed. People who have no secrets from each other never want for subject of conversation. They do not weigh their words, for there is nothing to be held back. Neither do they seek for themselves something to say. They talk out of the abundance of their heart. Without consideration, they say just what they think. Blessed are those, blessed are they, who attain to such familiar, unreserved discourse with God. This is a guy that's got, he's, he's a lot smarter than me. He's a lot smarter than most people. And you know what he says? Give it all to Jesus. Cast your cares on him. Oh, you're worried about traffic? Talk to God. You're worried about health? Talk to God. You're worried that the food you just ordered won't be good? Talk to God. I mean, everything. Everything. Yeah, but Chris, I have prayed and cast all my cares on Jesus and it seems like he hasn't answered me. Anybody ever felt that? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to share in a little second here, but I've definitely felt like he hasn't answered me. But I want to, I want to remind you of something, something I have to be reminded about. God always answers prayer. There is no such thing as unanswered prayer from the risen king. The issue is not he's not answering you. The issue is he's giving you an answer you don't like or you don't want. You see, the, the truth is, and let me, I'll say that again, that he doesn't not answer us. He, he, he answers us, but it might be something you don't want to hear. And maybe you're like me. You can be a spoiled kid sometimes. My kids, I love them to death, but sometimes they're a little bit spoiled. 
I tell them no, and they still keep coming at me. <laughs> like, wait a minute, I just told you no. No, no, they keep coming, they keep coming. See, Paul outlines this. He said, three times I asked God. Three times. So we, the truth is, we can go to God. He will answer us. But are we ready to hear his no as much as we are to hear his yes? Jesus patterned this when he said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not my will be done. Let me just say, if I were to put it into a, uh, a bullet point here, the hardest thing about casting our cares on Jesus is trusting that he is really in charge. He is really in charge. Being thankful in prayer, choosing to be thankful, means we trust God is God and I am not. See, God's not confused about this. We get confused about this. Are you with me? God doesn't wake up one day. Well, he doesn't wake up either. He doesn't sleep nor slumbers. But he doesn't go, wait, oh yeah, that's right, I'm God. I'm in charge. No, he doesn't do that. But we wake up and we go, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm in charge, I'm in charge. And we forget that actually he's in charge. He's God. We're not. This is what we struggle with. And when we go before him, we need to remember that he is going to answer us, but it's going to be his kingdom, not mine. His way, not mine. But God is good. Amen? God is loving. God is fruitful. God is faithful. God never sleeps. He never slumbers. And he cares for you more than you will ever, ever know. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? See, I'm eternally grateful that God has told me no many times. (laughs) I can say that now, but in the moment, I wasn't. I remember sitting there, two in the morning, on the toilet. Sorry, that's just the truth. I have the bladder that is really, really small, (laughs) and I drink a lot of water. And we had just had our first baby, Emily, And I got up in the middle of the night and I heard the Lord as clear as day. I've called you to feed my sheep. I want you to serve me. I looked up and I went, what the heck? Closed my eyes again, felt the same thing. And I knew it. God, you you want me to, I was really stressed. I had been fasting. I had been praying. My wife and I had been, we'd both been fasting. We'd both been praying. I was at APU with a full scholarship and I knew that God was was calling me to something. I thought it might have been marriage and family therapy as a psychologist or, or something, I didn't know. And I, but I'm like, Lord, I also love working at the church. And, and the Lord told me. And the next day I woke up and I thought it was going to happen. <laughs> I was young. Seven years went by. Seven years is an eternity to a 21-year-old and a 22-year-old and a 23-year-old and a 24 You get where I'm going? You guys, God was telling me, he was answering my prayer, but to me, it felt like he wasn't. See, I was like, God, you said, I'm going, this is going to happen, so what's going on? And I got mad, I got angry. I'm a human being. But the truth is, God had me on a different plan, and he was saying, not yet, but I just thought he wasn't answering me. Brothers and sisters, God always answers. Always. Just in His way. Everyone who seeks the will of the Lord will get an answer, but are we willing to let Him be in charge? And this is what Paul says, because he says, if you're willing to have Him really be in charge, if you're really looking to Him and casting your cares, verse 7, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, 
If I were, if you're taking notes, you will have the companion of peace guarding your life every day. Health problems, people issues, financial hardships, etc. Fill in the blank are all opportunities for God to bring His peace that transcends all understanding. See, when the friend with cancer looks you in the eye and says with 100% conviction that they thank God for His peace, which is surpassing the understanding of actually not knowing the future if cancer is still here or it's going to go, I have peace right now. Because I have the companion of peace. See, when you and your spouse cling tightly to each other in the midst of financial ruin, yet you have a peace in the midst of insecurity because Jesus is with you, the companion of peace. Only God can take what makes us anxious and worry and use it to bring peace. Amen? See, anxiety and worry really focus on that outward or external problem and issue, whereas prayer changes us on the inside and brings us Jesus, the companion of peace. See, when we come before God and we really cast all our cares and and, and we seek Him, we get Him. That's what Paul is saying. If you seek Him, you'll get Him. He's promised it. You need Him in your life, He's there. Cast your cares, He's there. And He will pick you up and He will hold you. And this is why Paul goes on to say, and he points us to what's important. In verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, the greatest thing, by the way, this has been called the shortest, the shortest praise of Jesus ever. Because really, when we look at it, this is Jesus. He's true. He's noble. He's right. He's pure. He's lovely. He's admirable. He, only He, is worthy of our attention completely our praise if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about such things you see what Paul is saying is that Jesus will guide you to see what is noble I love that word noble it's, a, it's simnos in the, in the Greek and it, it's things worthy of respect I, I think things are worthy of respect that aren't maybe you're like me and I waste some time but he will guide you to what is worthy over time Jesus will guide you to the right purpose whatever is right the right thing, the right people. Jesus will guide you to the pure thing that really fill you daily. Things that are lovely. This is a great word. It just literally means what's actually pleasing to God. Finally, Jesus will even guide us in what we say. That's that word for speaking admirably. That even your words will be peppered and filled with Jesus. This is what it means to walk with the companion of peace. But I love Paul. Because this is scripture, isn't it? It lifts up Jesus. It lifts up God. It says, love Him, adore Him, go to Him. But let's be practical. It's not just about loving Him. If we're going to follow the commandments and the scriptures, it's also going to be about getting into community and loving others. Because this is where the rubber meets the road. Jesus' arms are in the arms of my brothers and sisters. Jesus' words and his encouragement and his edification are in my brothers and sisters. Jesus' truth comes through in the listening ears of my brothers and sisters. 
See, being free from anxiety, if I were to put it last, being free from anxiety and worry means we seek community to see God move. Paul says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. See, see, you know how I was with you? I loved you. I shared what it meant to be in community. I started this community with you. God did it through me. Keep doing it. You see me, you hear from me. Keep doing it. Don't stop. God always moves in His church, His community of those who seek Jesus. Because when we do, Jesus will be with us. If you isolate yourself, God will not be seen. If you continue to struggle on your own, God will not be with you. That's literally what He's saying. See, I guess the question is, where do you need to see the peace of God transcend all understanding? Where do you need to cast your cares and worries to Jesus? I heard some encouraging words just the other day. As you know, we have this thing called the Grow Gathering with Grow Groups, and we had 40 people that came to the, to the Grow Gathering and got connected, and, and now we've got the Grow Groups going, and we've been meeting, and oh my gosh, people are showing up, and it's awesome. I, I, we have the privilege, my wife and I, we have a, a friend who was like the second in charge of all the small groups at Saddleback Church with Rick Warren. Now, some of you who are Christian geeks, like me, you're like, what? That's awesome. I totally want to get their autograph. No. See, Rick Warren's church, I mean, Saddleback's like one of the biggest churches in the U.S., and they've got like 60,000 people, 80,000 people. I don't know. It's, you lose count after that many. It's like a city. And they are all about small groups. That's his biggest thing is small groups. And my wife was talking with her friend about it and saying, Hey, I want to get some information from you. And I want to get... And our grow gathering, we had 40 people. And, and her friend literally was just like, like... She was like, Hello, are you there? And she's like, Yeah, I'm sorry. I have to pick my mouth up off the floor. You, you had 40 people at your grow gathering? How many is in your church? I'm like, oh, about 80 or something. She's like, you had 50% of participation in community? Like, she had to repeat it. And my wife's like, yeah. She's like, do you realize that's ridiculous? That is amazing. Saddleback is all about that. And we don't even have that. We don't have 50%. And, I, and a part of me is going, God, you're good. Because you're growing a community here. And I'm excited. And I just want to say that anxiety and worry are going to stick you every time if you don't meet the community that God has for you. We have an awesome thing here at this church. And my hope for you, my challenge for you, for me, is to not only sign up and become a part of community, but get real. And cast your cares and meet Jesus, the companion of peace. Do me a favor. Let's, let's go before the Lord. I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to remember that God is in charge. And that He is working and does not tire, does not sleep, 
And He will never, ever let you go. Get into a grow group and learn what it is to have peace that transcends all understanding when you cast your cares in His community. Lord, we come before You and we thank You. We are so blessed to be a part of breaking the curve. (laughs) We're so blessed to be a part of a a family, of a church that says we're not just here on a Sunday, but we want to walk together during the week. We want to be a part of community and grow in faith together. Lord, we thank You. We bless You. Father, right now I know that there are people who are struggling. Lord, that there are cares, there are anxieties, there are worries, there are fears. And as Fenelon said, there is always going to be an abundance of them. When we're honest, in this world that we live in, there is an abundance of anxiety and worry. Lord, may we remember that you walked with us. You were raised from the dead. And you will forever walk with us. And we can cast our cares. And we can have a community that we were made for. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Now I just want to ask the ushers as they come on forward, I want to encourage you, if this is your first time here, don't worry about putting anything in the offering here. This is just an opportunity as us as disciples of Jesus Christ to bring our offering, not give it, bring it. We have an opportunity to just say, Lord, you have all of me. You have my calendar. You have my family. You have my pocketbook. It's just an opportunity to do that. Our little church wants to take what we have Reach out to the community we're in. So we just take this time right now in our offering as we bring it to say, Lord, use it not to build up this building, but to build up each building that sits in each chair. For the church is not made of brick, mortar, and stone. Lord, it's made of people, flesh and blood, who will go out into this community and connect and love on and serve. So I bless my brothers and sisters. And we bless this offering. We bless this time. And we just pray right now as we worship you that we would cast all our cares, all our worries at your feet. In Jesus' name.